You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time to think. Up the floor, reads a drop down. Kobe! Good day, good night, and welcome to Hardwood Radio. Ben, how you doing today? Very good, Kevin. You? Oh, I'm doing amazing. Uh, what a last couple of days in the world of basketball. And to talk about the player development as well, we are joined today by Coach Ian Johnson. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Gentlemen, let's just start by... Talking about the most famous topic right now, LeBron and that trophy, but especially that T-shirt. What did you think about the last couple of days in Cleveland? Uh, coach, you want to start? Sure. So, first of all, the, the game on the Game 7 was probably the most thrilling basketball game I've ever seen, and I've watched a lot of games. I was watching with a couple of friends. I was on the edge of my seat. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely fantastic for the NBA. Whether or not you're rooting for the Warriors or the Cavaliers, I don't think anybody can say they walked away from that game disappointed. Absolutely fantastic. As for LeBron, I think I'm reluctantly happy for him. <laughs> he's uh, he's kind of a cocky guy, it seems to me. He's always talking about himself, always talking about where he is in the league. But he put in the work, and to see him cry at the end of the game, I couldn't help but feel happy for him. Oh, definitely. Uh, I thought the I thought the uh, Warriors were not as much as they choked, but they got kind of figured out. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but in the fourth quarter, um, uh, Cleveland's defensive rotations were super solid. Uh, Steph and Clay could not pass the ball. Uh, they were caught, they were double teamed all the time, uh, and I think uh, as inhuman and historical as LeBron's effort has been in the fourth quarter. I mean, people are going to talk about that block in 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, I think Tyron Lue has a lot to do with that win. Do you guys agree with me? I'm, I'm surprised Tyron Lue won with the suit he was wearing. No, I don't think any coach <laughs> should be able to wear that kind of suit and pull off a game, se a game seven. There was, there was a couple of plays. I thought the fourth quarter could have, could have gone either way. It was 89-89 with three minutes to go. The two plays which changed the course of the court, I think. One was the block on Andre Iguodala. He makes that. It's a two-point game. Warriors had the momentum. But the play before that, which I thought was just as important, was the foul on uh, by Festus Azili on LeBron's three-pointer from the wing. Oh, LeBron, yeah. let's say he makes that. Maybe he makes it, maybe he doesn't. But still, just the fact that Festus made a dumb foul, stopped the game, stopped the momentum, it was six-point lead at the time. I think if he misses that shot, the Warriors get the rebound, game's over. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think the second most discussed topic uh, after the finals is why the hell is Steve Kerr put Vistas Zilli back in the game, right? <laughs> I agree. I don't, I don't know. I, don't think, I, think I, he was, I think he was trying to give Harrison Barnes a quick breather. Harrison, I don't think, was used to playing that many minutes. They went with their death lineup for so long in that second half. Mm-hmm. Start to get worn down. Exactly. The, the Cavaliers didn't play a perfect fourth quarter either. They missed a ton of shots. Yeah. They got their switches that they wanted. LeBron was on Steph one on one a mm -hmm. few times. Didn't take advantage. This game could have gone either way. Both players were tight. Cavaliers ended up pulling it out. 
Coach, before we move on and talk about your background in the scoring factory and all the great things you do, one thing is now, there's one question left for me this season. Does the loss of the Warriors in Game 7 taint in any way the great or maybe greatest season ever they just had? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's no one's going to remember now that the Warriors went 73-9 except for stat junkies. People are going to remember this is the season that LeBron brought the championship to Cleveland. More than other years, perhaps, they'll remember who got second place just because the Warriors came in so hyped. But this is the season now that LeBron won the championship for Cleveland. Yeah, and against all odds, like in Miami, he stacked the odds on his favor. But this one, mm-hmm. nobody saw it coming, I thought. No. I don't think anybody saw it coming. I think when they went up 3-1, they got lucky that Draymond got suspended. I think if Draymond plays game five, it's mm-hmm. series over. I agree. For LeBron, have you ever seen a dominant performance? He's the first player ever. Let's the last question about the finals, and we'll move to the scoring factory coach. Did you ever see a player perform that well and dominate every single individual stat possible in this NBA final? It was basically an all-around performance by LeBron. It was amazing. It was, it was part of the reason the game was so thrilling. You had probably at least five NBA Hall of Famers on the court at the same time, and LeBron stepped up above those other four players. The way he dominated the game was almost quiet in a way, even though he was so dominant just because he was so smooth. You didn't see his, all his assists until you saw the stat screen pop up. You didn't see how many rebounds he had just because they just kept coming to him. And then you look at the stat sheet after the game, and all of a sudden he's got a triple-double. It's just amazing the way he does that. He only shot nine for 24, too, which is the other thing. It wasn't, wasn't like he was on fire. <laughs> That's insane. Coach, can you talk about the Scoring Factory, your involvement with the Scoring Factory, and how this partnership and this uh, development aspect of players came to be? So the Scoring Factory, we're based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was founded by a guy named Pete Strobel. Pete played at Niagara back in the day, about 15 years ago. He played overseas for nine years, played in France, played in Austria, played in Ireland, had some success there, moved back to Pittsburgh, ended up here with his wife, and then he's looking around Pittsburgh and he notices that Pittsburgh doesn't really have a basketball scene. Teams are kind of fourth place to the Steelers, to the Penguins, to the Pirates. So he decided to make it his mission to put Pittsburgh on the map. I joined a few years ago, had a similar goal, looking around, checking some some teams out or retired from playing basketball overseas myself a few years ago, moved to Pittsburgh, got caught up with Pete, and now we're on a mission to, one, make players better, and to, two, make Pittsburgh a basketball city. We got a long way to go, but I think we're making private. <laughs> Where did you play overseas? So I played some in Spain, in Sweden, in Hungary. Okay, what, do you think, what, what, what country do you think has the best basketball scene in Europe? That's a tough question. I think, <laughs> I mean, the easy answer is to say Spain. They got a ton of leagues. They got, obviously, Real Madrid, Barcelona. But Russia has such a great league. Mm-hmm. Israel, Italy. There's great teams all around, which is why I love the Euro League. I think it brings all those teams together. It's fantastic. And what a great Final Four for the Euro League this year, too. None of the, the traditionally big teams were in it. Got a chance to see some really great, Really great basketball. CSKA won this year. Is that right? I think so, yep. Against a Turkish team, Fenerbahce? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the right game I saw. I wasn't sure this was the final. <laughs> uh, okay, um, what kind of player do you guys work with uh, at um, uh, the scoring factory? Do you guys have a specialty? So I think our specialty is a kid that's willing to work or a player that's willing to work. We work with, we try to get the best players we can. And we've had a number of really good, successful players come through our ranks. But at the same time, if you want to get better, we're willing to take you. And as long as you keep wanting to get better, as long as you show commitment, desire, focus, we'll continue working, working with you. Okay. Is there any, who are the highest profile uh, players you guys worked with? So we had DJ Kennedy this past year. He, oh. he was the MVP of the league in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And then he played a couple 10, 10-day contracts in the NBA. He's a big player. Jakeem Donaldson is another <laughs> big guy we've worked out for a number of years. He played in France last year, played in the ACB for a number of years. On the women's side, we worked out Brianna Kiesel. She played at Pitt four years, and now she was drafted to the Tulsa Shock. And okay, now she's with the, cool. With the, with the Dallas Wings. That franchise moved. Those were some of our bigger name players. Cool. Um, the DJ Kennedy. What was his uh, goal when he uh, when he uh, reached out to you? Was he looking to get better? Get ready. Okay. Get better. So he, I mean, he's obviously a well-developed player. He knows how to play the game. Mm-hmm. He wanted to pick up, refine his details, pick up little keys and tips, stay in shape, get in better shape. So when he goes to wherever he gets picked up, he's he's ready. He he wanted he wanted an outside eye basically on what could be his weakness. Was that right? Identify weaknesses, strengthen his strengths, mm-hmm. get in great shape. Just come in, get ready for for whatever the next step is for him. Okay. Do you know Do you know where uh, where he's gonna play next season? I do not. He's looking. He's looking. He's okay. getting ready. It's the off season now, so next couple months, agents are working, teams mm-hmm. are working, all those backroom S- deals. Summer league. Summer league. Summer uh, camps. What would you say was your best uh, achievement at the Scoring Factory? I would say my best achievement probably doesn't come with the higher profile players. My mm-hmm. best, my greatest achievements comes with the, the lesser known players that say a kid comes in and he's not very confident, full of self-doubt, doesn't know if he can make it. And then we work together and slowly we start to break down those self-defenses he's got up we start to break down his doubt start to build his confidence and then next year he goes into his league and he's a new player and people say man what happened to that guy what did he do <laughs> and then i can say wow well, was a, a big part of that and i can feel a lot of pride in helping him coach get when, to where, where he's going when so you i look- think of my job is not as as building up a player as, as it is moving the obstacles so if players let's say we have a sculpture of a player and all of a sudden mm-hmm. he comes in he's a block of wood i'm more thinking myself as helping him scrape away that excess and then what he already is inside he's he can just let out you mentioned blockades and the, uh, what's the most common mistakes or maybe misconceived idea of player development when a player comes to you that he has that you need to change off the bat is there one that's common across players that come to your academy I'm going to say from a coach's standpoint, it's the idea that the coach is going to change the player. The coach is going to provide opportunities for that player to change his health, change himself. If, if a player doesn't want to get better, he's probably not going to get better. He might get in a little bit better shape. Mm-hmm. He might pick up a few knowledge, knowledgeable tidbits that he can share with his friends and family. But if he doesn't want to get better, he's just probably going to stay more or less the same player. That's the first misconception I think a lot of people think about when they think of player development is that the idea that a coach is magically going to change a player. A coach can be really good and he can know the details and he can, he can 
be the smartest guy in the room. But his job, primary job, is to get that player to buy into himself, and he can let that player take off instead of mm-hmm. thinking it's the coach. From a player's perspective, I think the the biggest misconception a player can have is that it's wrong to feel self doubt. That's wrong to feel unconfident. I think every single player, every single level, at some point, feels self-doubt, feels not confident, feels like they might not be able to make it. And if the player thinks that's wrong, that's where the player gets hung up. Mm-hmm. But once he realizes it's just, I mean, a frustration is just frustration, self-doubt is just self-doubt. It's not that you feel those things; it's how you respond to that, to those feelings. That's what really matters. Cool. Um, if we invited Coach Johnson today, guys, it's because it's uh, NBA Draft Week. And as you guys might know, I'm a bit of a uh, obsessed draft nerd. And I wanted, I wanted um, the opinion of someone who's actually working with young players uh, to have his eyes on uh, this upcoming draft. So, Coach, tell me, uh, do you have any favorite prospects in this year's draft? I do have a few, a few players I really like, and they, they might not be the players you think of. So the first player I really like is Malcolm Brogdon, played at UVA. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit older, so which in the NBA is, means you're a dinosaur, and he's probably not going to get drafted as high as he should. But he's a super smart guy. He's got a super high IQ. He's the kind of guy that he'll go later in the draft to a team that's already good, and he's also the kind of guy you sit on the bench for 10, 10 games, doesn't play, gets 10 – DNPs in the stat sheet, but then all of a sudden you need him for three minutes in a close game. You can pull him off the bench and he's ready to go. I think his playing for Tony Bennett at UVA was huge for him. UVA made it to the lead eight. Should could have won the championship, I think, if they got a few few different plays going their way. But he's a great player, Malcolm Brogdon. I like Damian Jones. Damian oh, Jones, I like. He's I like him to, too. Smile, seems to smile a lot, seems to have a good personality, has an NBA-ready body. I like him. And then my, my third play, player I kind of like is Thon Maker. Oh, that's interesting. Thon Maker. <laughs> from, from all accounts, he, he's a player who wants to get better. He seems to really like the game. He's always asking for, for help, for advice. So going back to the guy that wants to get better, this is the guy that's going to make himself better. So whatever team takes him, I think they got, they got a baller. At the same time, if you're watching him run, it's almost cringeworthy the way he runs. Mm-hmm. I think every single step, it's gonna look, looks, it looks like he's going to blow out a knee or something. Those would <laughs> be three players that I, that I really like. Do you think uh, any team is going to take a chance in the first round on Thonmaker or is going to slip it through the second? I have no idea. This, this is where <laughs> you play GM. I think... I think a team might take him in the late first round. I think that they like him. They'll see things in his personality, and they'll say, okay, a team that doesn't really need a player, they'll say, okay, we'll take him and let him develop on the bench for a number of years. Mm -hmm. What do you you think? I really think that he cannot fall further than 37. If if, uh, he's still there when Daryl Morey is on board for the Houston Rockets, (laughs) no way he's passed. No way Morey doesn't scratch that itch. No yeah. way. And especially that um, uh, we, uh, Mike D'Antoni just got hired in uh, Houston. Mm-hmm. And they need some guys who run the floor. They need some guys who, uh, who fit D'Antoni's uh, mentality. And I think... International. Pop- if you're from a different country, D'Antoni likes you, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, I like Malcolm Brogdon a lot too. Well, I like these three guys that you name. I think Brogdon would fit very well on the Warriors bench next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they're going to draft him for reasons I'm going to talk uh, later. But uh, I think he would help. Like you said, he would help any team like right now. Um, another question I wanted to tackle with you is the uh, biggest existential conundrum that has been going to on this draft south of what should Boston do with their pick. Uh, if you're Philly, who do you pick, Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram? I like the way you use the word existential when you're talking <laughs> about the draft. I think that's probably the only podcast in North America that would use that word. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm thinking about Simmons or Ingram, I'm probably going to draft Simmons. I think he's more NBA ready. Ingram is so skinny. It's hard to see him guarding guys in the NBA. Simmons is also a question mark. I, I can't tell. I've never met the guy, but I, I, I just can't tell even from a distance if he really loves the game or if he's just out trying to, to make a buck or two. It's mm -hmm. hard to tell what kind of player he was at LSU. Team obviously didn't make sense turn or very far in the postseason. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a crapshoot, but I, I would go with Simmons. Uh, yeah, and so he's more NBA ready. How about you? And there's the fact that uh, Philly cannot make any mistakes, right? They ha they have to have in uh, immediate help and immediate talent. Me, I like Ingram a lot. I think he's the easy answer to this um, to this question because. You know what kind of player he is. You know where he fits. And he's been gaining, again, I think 25 pounds of muscle over the year. So mm -hmm. even if he's slim, I kind of like him playing three or even playing four in small lineups. Uh, but you don't know what you're getting with Ben Simmons, by the way. You know, you just, like, he could be uh, LeBron James number two. He could be Magic Johnson. Sky is the limit. It just depends what goes on from here. From what I heard, though, uh, Rich Paul has been preparing his clients to go to Philly uh, since uh, they've won the lottery, which is uh, very surprising because Rich Paul, you know, is a very, um, uh, is a power broker. He loves to make his players sit out. He loves to, by the way, guys, Rich Paul is uh, Ben Simmons' agent. He's also uh, LeBron James' agent, and he's the agent that, uh, triggered the last two uh, holdouts in the NBA. Eric Bledsoe two years ago and um, Tristan Thompson last year. Um, the, speaking of which, um, when a player, when a young player like this is looking to uh, get to the superior level, let's say not, not necessarily from college to NBA or from uh, high school to college, what are, what are the hurdles like the physical and psychological hurdles that could hurt his development. So I was going to retouch on the Ben Simmons for a, uh, for a second. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting with him that he denied his workout, didn't want to work out with the 76ers. And the 76ers have such a long history of that. Last year, Porzingis didn't even interview with the team. And then I just heard the story the other day, Charles Barkley apparently didn't want to, was going to get drafted by the 76ers, didn't want to, get drafted by him and so he gained a ton of weight and when he went in for the his weigh-in the GM back in the day that he would be overweight and the GM wouldn't pick him but the GM so he went in for the weigh-in a couple days before the draft he was about 15 pounds 20 pounds heavier than the GM had wanted him to be Charles Barkley thought he was in the clear 76ers weren't going to draft him the GM cussed him out 
a 25 minutes and then let him go, think, making Charles believe that he wasn't going to get drafted. And then, <laughs> what do you know? First pick of the draft, here's, here's Charles Barkley getting, getting drafted no matter what. I think there's always drama with the 76ers. It's such a tough sports town. Mm-hmm. It'll be what it'll be. I think they'll take Simmons. So I'm going to go back to your questions about the biggest psychological, physical hurdles that a player faces. I'll start with physical. In college, if you make it to the, let's say, the Final Four, you're playing 38, 42 games maximum, which is a lot. And then if you go to the NBA and you don't even make the playoffs, you're playing twice that. NBA is such a grind, night after night, eight extra minutes of game time. Even if you're playing a little less than you were in college, it's just takes such a toll on your body. Mm-hmm. NBA players are huge. It's a, it's a man's game. It's, it just takes such a toll. So physically, just being ready to play 82 games at a high level that you've never, ever played at, that's such a tough challenge. At the same time, the NBA has state-of-the-art nutritionists, state-of-the-art physical facilities, state-of-the-art physical therapists that take care of pretty much every, every single need a player may have. As soon as a player gets drafted, the team is taking that player in a room and he's meeting with the nutritionist, he's meeting with the physical therapist, he's changing his diet, hopefully, he's changing the way he works out, he's changing maybe the way he runs, all that stuff is being taken care of. So there's diff- different ways to balance that. And the coach obviously knows there's a rookie wall and he can mm-hmm. adjust, the mi- adjust the minutes. The biggest hurdle, I think, is psychologically. It's a, I'd say a couple days off the, after the draft, the player goes to the city he gets drafted to, there's a media tour. There's he meets with the team, he meets the fans, and then he gets sent home for a couple of days. And every single story I've heard about players that experience this, it's pretty much the same. So a player goes home to his hometown, he pulls into, into his driveway, and there's 25 cars there. He's got 100 messages on his phone. Everybody's asking him for money already. There's mm-hmm. women trying, trying to get into his life. And that's a lot to take in. That's way worse than, than a college player. Some major college players might have a little idea what that's like. But just to, just to adjust to the, the amount of people wanting something from you is huge. And then there's also the, the mental grind of the NBA season. So like I said, the NBA is a, is a man's game physically. It's a man's game mentally, too. Mm-hmm. If you can't hack it, it's, it's gonna be, you're going to be exposed pretty quick. Yeah, you, you raise a good example with Kristaps Porzingis last year. Uh, as a Knicks fan, I can tell you, after 40-something game, he hit the rookie wall pretty hard. Yeah, uh, he so. he. I think he he played 34 games last year, and uh, this year after 44, 45, about the time when Derek Fisher got fired, uh, he just he was just not the same player anymore. He was he just looked so tired. His screens were dragging. Uh, it was it was kind of not not as much fun to watch him play. Yeah, and then he went. He thought he was going to have a week off for the All Star break. He flew down to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm just to kind of disappear and he checks in this hotel goes out to the pool and all of a sudden there's all kinds of people taking pictures with him and he can't he can't even relax at, at his vacation so that's that's his rookie lesson there in just how exposed he is how his mm-hmm. life is never ever going to be the same oh no as an, as an nba player especially not when you're seven for three right Especially not, right? It's not like, let's say you're Eric Bledsoe, like you put a cap and you put a fake beard on and like you can yeah. go pretty much everywhere you want. If or for you're... Jeremy Lin, you show up anywhere and people, people don't believe you when you say you're an <laughs> Yeah, they don't, they don't even let you in your own gym. I think it happened in Charlotte this year, no? Yeah, he showed up his first day and he goes to, to the back entrance for the security 
security guy standing there, and he's like, oh, you're not an NBA player. He said, yes, I am. I'm Jeremy Lin. And he had to go, <laughs> security guy had to go check with someone else to make sure this was the right guy. I, I don't know if you follow soccer a little bit, but it happened in Montreal. I I, I, it happened in Montreal. We got uh, Didier Drogba, which sure. was a soccer legend, and uh, one of his first day in the, at the Olympic Stadium, they, had, they wanted to check his ID. That's great. That's great. Uh, yes, I that saw would it. Never exactly it's it was a weird day uh okay let me put you in this situation again let's say you have uh the first uh overall draft pick and there's five players that uh physically and uh, skill wise are of more or less equal value um what are you looking for in a player what do you think psychologically makes a player special i guess a great question And my answer is going to be, the first thing I'm going to look for is love of the game. Mm-hmm. Does this player love the game? So if, if I watch all five players, they're all equal physically, all equal talent-wise, I'm going to say, which player seems to like being on the court? 82 games in the NBA season. If you don't like playing, let's hope every player probably hopes he's got, you know, five, ten years of money making in the NBA. If you don't like playing basketball, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to like being in the NBA. Your teammates will notice that. Your coach will notice that. The GM will notice that, and your career won't be as successful. So the first thing I'm looking for is love of the game. So you look at a player like Andrew Bynum. Pretty mm-hmm. clear he didn't love the game. He was big, tall, talented. That's why he got on the Lakers. That's why he made some money playing it. But it's also the reason why he didn't get – his career wasn't as long as it should have been. It's because he pretty clearly just didn't love the game. And you look at someone like Kevin Durant, who's just recently talking about he just wants to play ball, and he mm-hmm. seems very genuine – Talking about his contract, his next contract, he just wants to play ball, wants to get a team where he can fit in. Mm-hmm. His ball. I think that's that's beautiful, just the love of the game. But uh, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but it's a, it's a theory that I've bounced on the podcast several times. But seven-footers uh, psychologically are a bit difficult to approach, right? Because not all of them want to play basketball. I would say, I would say most seven-footers probably – probably don't want to be playing basketball. I think tall tall guys in general, mm-hmm. they get they get lumped into the the, the game just because they're tall, they got long arms. A coach sees them when they're 13 mm-hmm. and he's six foot eight and can dunk. And the coach says, okay, let's let's get you basketball. And then the guy gets sucked into the system. And then let's say he's, he's good enough for the NBA. He makes it to the NBA. But he never really doesn't really know his place in the game, doesn't mm-hmm. know what he's doing, doesn't really have an identity because – At 13, that guy who saw him gave him the identity of a basketball center. And so it was just confusion all around. I think, so I'd agree with you, yeah, most, most big guys struggle in the NBA just because they don't, it's not really their place. Um, I have an extra question. I, I just remembered, uh, uh, I've, I've read a lot about a prospect this year called Marquise Chris. I don't know if you know him. I've heard of him. I don't know much about him. He's 18-year-old. And he's super athletic. He can jump out of the gym. He's six foot ten, which is uh, a very good size to be extra athletic. Uh, he can shoot, but he uh, hasn't. Uh, he doesn't have a very good feel for the game because he's only been playing for four years. Right. And he reminds me in that respect of Derek Williams, which who played for my Knicks. Um, where would you start? with a guy like this who has all the talent in the world, like Williams or Chris, but doesn't know what he's good at? 
I would start by getting him a good mentor. So let's say I drafted him. Probably wouldn't draft him pretty high. I'd probably be one of the the later picks. Let's say late first round, second, early second round. A team that has the the years to develop a player like that. The first thing I do is get him get him a good mentor. Mm-hmm. So if he shows up in the NBA, he still doesn't know the game that well, still doesn't know the NBA that well. He could get lost pretty quick. Mm-hmm. If he's got a guy taking him under his wing, explaining things to him, explaining how the nightlife works, explaining how the money works, explaining what to do with his money, that's his first step, just making him feel comfortable. From then, it's just a development game, mm-hmm. putting him in the right practice situations. Let's say he goes down to D League for for several stints, and hopefully you don't rush him. Mm-hmm. He develops naturally, organically, and then in two, three years, he starts coming off the bench a little bit more, and maybe five years, he's 23, and he's ready to start, start in the NBA. And hopefully by that point, he, you've re-signed him. If he, if he does get better, he doesn't get <laughs> stolen by, by another team. So, so when, they, uh, when the team talks about a three-year project or a four-year project, you believe in these? Not really. <laughs> Not really. I don't. The, I don't how, how many how many projects can you can you name that have been successful? I have one. I Ricky have, Rubio. Uh, no, uh, Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson. Okay, I'll take that. Tristan take Thompson that. has get out, gotten significantly better every year since uh, 2011, and everybody was like, "What the hell are you doing, Cleveland?" When the, when they drafted him because he was he was ranked I think 12th or something yeah. back uh, back in the days. Uh, yeah, ar- ar- arguably the second most valuable player on the Cavs in the NBA Finals. Oh yeah, especially in the final game, and he did his uh, he made his free throws. He got some crucial uh, offensive rebound. He, Defense. He, yeah, he made he made uh, he made his money. Like he he showed why he was paid the big bucks. Showed why it was worth holding out for that extra two million. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, one uh, last, uh, one last uh, question I wanted to ask you before we leave because you have to leave very soon. Um, I know you're a Warriors fan. You've went to uh, Davidson with uh, a little before Steph Curry, but like uh, college pride uh, plays a big part uh, in this. Yeah. What do you think? Who do you Especially think for a small school like Davidson? Who do you think the Warriors should draft with the number 30 pick? So last year, the Warriors drafted a guy named Kevin Looney at UCLA. I don't remember seeing him play one time this season, and then I watched a lot of Warriors games. I think he, his total minutes for the season might be under 100. He so got that. injured. He got a hip surgery, I think, in December, and then he was out for the year. Out for the year. So, But even before December, he was playing mm-hmm. very little. So... The Warriors, I think they're going to try to bring everybody back. I think the all the players on the Warriors want to want to bring their want to come back. What a great team! What a great brotherhood! You can mm-hmm. tell those guys really like playing with each other. Chemistry was a big, it's a big reason they went seventy three and nine. Chemistry is a big reason they should have won their second straight NBA championship. I don't see a lot of playing time coming from from a pick, whether it's the thirtieth pick or or wherever it is. So. That might be a team they can they can take a chance on a humble guy who loves the game and wants to get better. Mm-hmm. I I don't have a name for you. <laughs> I, uh, I it became clearer to me what they should do during uh, Game Seven. 
um, because Festus Ezeli is a restricted free agent, right? And okay. if a th- if a, a team like let's say the Lakers, who uh, will be coached by Luke Walton, and Luke Walton loves the Festus, give him let's say 15 million a year, they're caught. They cannot uh, they cannot give him. Uh, so I think they should go with a big guy uh, with a seven footer. There's a very intriguing seven footer who will be available most likely at 30, a guy named A.J. Hammonds mm-hmm. um, from Purdue, who is 23 years old, uh, ready to help right away. And he does a lot of Bogut-like stuff, sets mm-hmm. up hard screen, uh, defends the rim, uh, plays with a lot of confidence. He reminds me of, a, of Bogut in many, many ways. Uh, wh- how would you like to have uh, A.J. Hammonds on the Warriors? I think that'd be an okay pick. I think any player that gets picked onto the Warriors and expects to get playing time knows that with the shooters they have and the players they have, a ton of shots probably aren't going to be coming. Mm-hmm. So Festus made most of his shots off, off rolls, dunks, putbacks. As long mm-hmm. as that player knows that's how he's going to get his buckets, mm-hmm. you can call him Tristan Thompson buckets, then <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good, that'd be a good pick. Cool, cool, cool. All right, um, before we leave, um, let's say... Anybody from uh, Pennsylvania is listening to us. Any young baller from Pennsylvania is listening to us. Uh, how can they get in contact with uh, the Scoring Factory? So Scoring Factory, you can go to thescoringfactory.com. You can read all about what we do. We've got phone numbers on the site, contact emails on the site. That's thescoringfactory.com. All right. Thank you very much, Coach, for your time. It was very appreciated. Coach Thanks so Johnson. much, man. Thanks, Kevin. Pleasure being on. Coach Ian Johnson of the Scoring Factory, thank you very much for joining us today. For Benoit Lelièvre, myself, Kevin Larmé, until next time, enjoy your basketball. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.